Bread of Life from the sermon series, I Am, spoken by Pastor Peter on. One of the great things about our bodies is that it does tell us when we're physically hungry. And when we don't fulfill that hunger, uh, many times it will actually hurt us in the long run. And what happens if we never fulfill or never fulfill the desires of our physical hunger? We will eventually die right? That's what will happen biologically, scientifically, medically speaking. If we do not eat for a long period of time, eventually our bodies will no longer exist. Physical hunger is important because it tells us our body that we need to eat. You ever think about spiritual hunger? So there is physical hunger, but at the same time, on the flip side, there's something also called spiritual hunger, that our bodies are spiritually hungry. And we have to recognize, what are we feeding our spiritual hunger? What happens if we don't feed our spiritual hunger for a long period of time? Like our physical bodies, our souls, our spirit will eventually cease to exist. Last Sunday, we launched a new series called I Am. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus declares seven I Am statements. These are like thundering statements that he proclaims about himself to teach us who he is as God in relation to us and also what he can do for us today, what he can bless us with today. And today we're going to look at I Am the bread of life. Last Sunday, we looked at on on Holy Easter, we looked at I Am the resurrection and the life. And if you missed that, I encourage you to check it out. But today... We're going to learn from Jesus, I am the bread of life. Jesus is going to teach us how we can fulfill our spiritual hunger, how we can feed our spiritual hunger today with the right proper spiritual food so that we can continue to be in a healthy place. In fact, Jesus makes a very provocative statement. He says that he is the bread of life. He says, if you eat of me, you will never hunger nor thirst again. How can Jesus Christ be our bread of life. That's what we're going to talk about today. And so before we get started, can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? Let's go to God in prayer. God, I pray that you'll just be with us at this moment. And wherever we are, whether we're watching at our homes or wherever in our cars, or maybe we're out and about, wherever we might be, I pray, God, that you would just move in a very powerful way. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fall upon every house, every... um, tablet, every phone, every computer that's on right now. And I pray that you would meet and minister so deeply to us. And I pray that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, God. Open our hearts, God. I pray for anyone today who is watching and they watch with a really heavy heart, especially during COVID-19, God. I, I do pray that you would just really watch over them. And today, may they be able to enter into a place, God, where they can experience the height and depth and width of your great love. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and all of our hearts watching today, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, uh, just before we get into chapter six, I, I, I go into this passage, I want to just kind of set it up. If you read the beginning of John chapter six, what happens is that Jesus feeds 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish. It was a miracle. These people ate to the point where they were full, 
where they were really full. Now that for us in America is not a hard sort of a uh, thing to grasp because in America, as we eat, a lot of us sometimes we eat to the point where we could barely breathe. So we understand what it's like when we eat something and we've had our fill. All right. Back in the first century, people normally didn't eat like that. They were able to eat just enough to survive. And so when Jesus was with them and he fed them and they had their fill with five loaves of bread and two fish, it was literally a miracle. And so what happens is that when Jesus leaves them, they try to find them and they go to Capernaum and he's in the synagogue and they follow him there. Right. And, uh, and as they're there, this is during the Passover. Jesus and the people of God are learning about the amazing thing of what God had done to lead God's people out of Egypt where they were in slavery for 400 years and led them through the person of Moses out and eventually into the promised land. In that, in the 40 years that they were in the wilderness before they went into the promised land, how did the people of God eat? They ate as God rained down manna from Heaven, yes. And as they partook of that manna from heaven, God filled them. And in many ways, they approached Jesus in Capernaum, hoping that Jesus will continue to provide for them that kind of manna, right? And so that was important. Now, when you look at this Exodus story of, of Moses leading God's people eventually out of Egypt and in the wilderness, eventually Joshua takes him into the promised land, you'll find that for Moses, for him to grasp this understanding of who God is, the very first time we read of, that, of, that, of those two words, I am, is found in the Exodus account. For Moses, it meant the world for him. Moses would have not gone into Egypt if God didn't reveal to Moses who he was. Remember in the story of the burning bush? Moses was just minding his business. He was around 80 or so years old. He was a fugitive from, from Egypt and he was minding his own business and all of a sudden God appears to him in a burning bush and he tells him that he's going to send Moses back to Egypt to lead his people into the promised land. Moses argues with God for a little bit and then at the end he says, who do I tell them sent me? And how does God respond? Do you remember? He says, tell them I am sent you. Now in the Hebrew, that means God the Redeemer, Yahweh, right? God the Redeemer. And so Moses, before he even knew God to be creator, he knew him first to be redeemer. Why was he able to go to Egypt? Because he knew that this God was going to redeem the people of God. Now the seven I am statements, what Jesus does that he takes the I am that we learn in Exodus from Moses and he takes it to a deeper level and he helps us to understand who this God is through the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it's an emphatic statement. It really is an emphatic statement. Years ago, somebody from my church came and we were at the church picnic. And I just said to him, this, this person was a Hispanic person. And I said to him, I said, hey, um, are you Puerto Rican? And he looked at me with his beautiful brown uh, his hazel eyes. And he looked at me, he says, no, I am a Dominican. I mean, he was emphatic about that. I never forgot it from that point on, because of how emphatic he was about declaring that he is Dominican. What Jesus, when he declares the seven I am's, he is being emphatic about it. And today he wants you to know that he, he says, I am the bread of life. And so as, these, as the people of God are now approaching him, they want to be fed physical food. Jesus really tries to turn the corner here and he wants them to realize that rather than pursuing him for the gift, it's so critical that as they pursue God, that they pursue God first before they pursue the gift, right? He's basically saying, come to me, come to the giver, and don't just pursue me because of the gifts that I can give to you. Now, that's important because a lot of us, if we were to ask ourselves, why do you believe in God today? Some of us really might say, well, it's because of the gifts, 
because of the gifts he can give to me. The people of God went to Jesus in Capernaum because they wanted the gift of food. And Jesus says, don't focus on the gift, but focus on the giver. So many of us today, we're focused on the gift, and the gifts are important. So many are, are wanting God to give them the gift of financial securities, particularly during this COVID-19 time that we find ourselves in. It's an important prayer. But Jesus is telling you today, don't pursue me just for the gift. Pursue the giver. Some of us are praying for the gift of protection from this deadly virus. And every day we're asking God to protect us, protect our family. And Jesus is clearly saying to us, we're going to see this in the passage, he's saying, don't just pursue me for that gift. Pursue the giver of that gift. Why do we pursue Jesus Christ today? Do we pursue him just for the gift? He wants us to pursue him for who he is and what he can give and who he is as a person, his love that he offers you and me. You know, one of my, one of my favorite movies, and there's going to be a remake of this, is Coming to America. Have you guys ever seen that movie with Eddie Murphy? Hilarious movie. Um, Eddie, Eddie Murphy plays a character where he's a prince of Zamunda, and uh, he's going to eventually be the king, and he needs to find a wife. And he doesn't want to marry anyone in Zamunda, any woman there, because they know that he's a prince. He is dying for true love. And so he moves to America for just a period of time. He goes to Queens, and he wants to find his wife there. And the only way he realizes he can find somebody that would truly love him, not for what he has, but just for who he is, is that he goes and he becomes poor, and he works at a place called McDowell's. And uh, it's a great movie. If you've never seen it, you've got to check it out. And then there, he meets the love of his life. But it was so important for him that he live his life as a poor person because the person or the woman that falls in love with him, loves with him, has to love him not because of what he has, but because of who he is. That's exactly where God's at today. That when you and I pursue God just for the gifts, in many ways it hurts God because God wants you to go to him just for him because God has poured forth a love for you through the person of Jesus Christ. He loves you with all of his heart. And my hope and prayer is that as you go to him, that though you pray for the gifts, that you would never forget the key point is that you need to go to the giver. If the only reason why we pursue Jesus is because of the gifts, then eventually what will happen is we will always be hungry. He can never satisfy us. And the only way he can truly satisfy us or we would never grow hungry or be thirsty again is if we pursue the giver and not just the gift. So how do we do that? How can Jesus become our bread of life? There's two key thoughts I have for you today. The first is this. Jesus becomes our bread of life when we hunger to believe in him. When you and I hunger to believe in him. That's the key word is hunger. We have to hunger to believe in him. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, and here's the key verse, to believe in the one he has sent. They're saying, give us this food. How do we have this food? 
Jesus says, if you really want it, here's the work that you and I have to do. We have to hunger to believe in Jesus. Basically, he said, you have to crave my presence. You have to crave my presence. That we have to get to the point and the place where we do so. The only reason why you know you're physically hungry is because you've actually eaten all the time. You eat all the time. Whenever you eat, you know that you'll get hungry if you stop eating. When you continue to crave Jesus Christ, here's the most beautiful thing, and you, you continue to be in his presence and you partake of him, you will become more and more hungrier for him. You'll be hungrier to want to encounter his presence and to want to believe in him. That's what he's saying here to the people of God. And here, eventually, they don't get it, and they kind of reject him. Look at what it says in verse 30, because they say, I need a sign. He's saying, no, no, just pursue me, and it's saying, give me a sign. And we say that too a lot. We say, Jesus, I'll believe in you if you give me the gift first. That's exactly what they're saying. And look at what he says in verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they say, well, sir, always give us this bread. And here it is. Here's what Jesus says. This is the key verse. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven not only to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus encourages the people of God that their first task for them is to never stop being hungry to believe in Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you, do you believe in Jesus today? Many of you will say, yes, I do. I think all of you would probably say that. But the difference is, do you hunger to believe in Jesus? That's very different. You see, I think when we say we believe in Jesus, many times, sometimes we do it because of the gifts that Jesus can give to us. When you and I hunger to believe in Jesus, you know, we get to a place where we realize Jesus is enough. That the gifts are good, they're important. But at the end of the day, even if Jesus says no, he's still enough. Those are people who truly hunger to believe in Jesus, where they lean on him for everything. Now, during this season that we find ourselves in in life, is Jesus Christ enough for you? Or do we continue to pursue him for the gifts in hopes that he would give us the gifts? And if we don't get the gifts, then perhaps maybe our belief in him is compromised. Those people who hunger to believe in Jesus, regardless if they receive gifts from Jesus or not, they are content because Jesus is enough, because Jesus has come and given us the greatest gift that you and I could ever receive. And that is a real, tangible, concrete, authentic relationship with the God who created you and me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have this opportunity to grow in our relationship with the very God who created this universe, who sits on the throne today and who desires to have a deep, powerful relationship with us. But the problem is, what are we feeding our spiritual hunger with? See, a lot of us, here's the thing. We could feed our physical hunger with a lot of bad food, right? 
What would happen if you ate, if your diet only consisted of Pop-Tarts, French fries, Big Macs every day? What would happen if that was your diet? I would guarantee you, eventually, you would have high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Eventually, you would begin to get diseased. You would have maybe a stroke or a heart attack. That's what will happen. When I was in my uh, early teens and uh, 20s, I didn't care what I ate. I ate whatever I wanted to eat. And here's the most beautiful thing. My body didn't, I gained weight, but I didn't feel it in my body. Now that I'm in my mid-40s, whatever I eat, my body feels. And it's so interesting. I'm in a season of life now where my body doesn't handle meat the way it used to handle meat, particularly pork. And that's really sad for me. Because I love meat and I love pork, bacon especially, but my body is not able to handle that as much. So I find myself eating so much more greens now because my body starts to, my body is able to handle that. When you get older, you will realize what you put into your body really matters. And if we continue to eat junk food, you will eventually die of some kind of disease. It will happen inevitably. It's the same thing with your spiritual hunger. What are you feeding your spiritual hunger? For a lot of us, we feed our spiritual hunger a lot of spiritual junk food. You know what that is? That's usually sin. Sin. When our souls crave something, we're hungry, spiritually hungry. Some of us, we don't even know we're spiritually hungry. What we end up doing is that we end up feeding our spiritual hunger with sin. And it's a very natural, natural thing that all of us do, including myself. Look at some of the examples that Paul gives to us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Here are some of the spiritual junk food that we have to get a handle on if we want to be in a place where we can be healthy. Look at what Paul says. Put to death, he says, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Again, two different types of sexual immorality he talks about here. Evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. You have to be careful what you're feeding your spiritual hunger because if you feed it spiritual junk food, eventually what will begin to happen over time is that your souls will be diseased and infected. And what does that usually do? That leads to mental illness. It leads to deep psychological disorders. And that's why so many of us, and not, this is not the only reason, but so many of us are struggling today with anxiety disorder, with loneliness, with depression, with all those different things. One of the reasons why that happens is because we're feeding our spiritual hunger junk food. You know, um, I know that during this quarantine, a lot of us we're probably watching more porn than we've ever watched in our lives. The reason why I know that is because there are a lot of porn sites that are giving away free premium memberships. Free. And you know what they're saying on those sites? They're saying that we want to help you to get through this quarantine. That's dangerous. So many of us are watching more porn than we've ever watched. And I'm telling you right now, when you watch porn, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's no way that fills up your soul. It leaves you emptier and emptier every time you do it. And yet you keep going. It's not because you're evil. It's not because you're bad. It's just because you're spiritually hungry and you don't know what to feed it. 
Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. If you come to me and feed on me, you'll never go hungry and thirsty again. So many of us, we struggle with the sense of loneliness. We struggle with a sense of self-centers. During this season, it's hard, isn't it? And we go to supermarkets and we can't find any water. We can't find any toilet paper because whenever our soul starts to get hungry, we just think about ourselves and we hoard and we just think about ourselves not thinking about anyone else. It's really a sad reality. So many of us today are so angry. And they're saying right now we're living in a time because we're all quarantined at home that there is a rise at its highest domestic violence in the home. And if you are angry today, I get it. That's a part of our own brokenness. And you're taking that out on your children or your spouse. God be with you. And if you continue to act in that way, you'll never know the depth of what peace, comfort, and the things that God has to offer you today. And so I want to encourage you that it's vitally important to ask yourself, what are you feeding your spiritual hunger today? For a lot of us, we don't even know we're spiritually hungry, so we just kind of go towards our own default brokenness and our sinful patterns, and it's such a deadly place to go. Some of us spiritualize it. Some of us, because we're so, we have such a hole in our hearts, because we struggle with shame, and because maybe somebody has told us that we're nothing but a failure, we live with those constant inner voices. So what do we do? We spiritualize things, and we want to conquer the world for Jesus Christ. But deep down inside, you don't really want to conquer the world for Jesus Christ. You just want to remind yourself or teach yourself that you're not a loser. You're doing it for yourself, not for God. You're doing it to deal with your own issues. You're not doing it because you want to glorify God and live for him. You're doing it because you want everyone to applaud you and tell you how great you are. You're not really doing it for God's sake. You're not eating the bread of life. Today, God is inviting us to his banqueting table to eat of Jesus Christ, to know that he is truly the bread where we will never hunger. What, what does that really look like when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and if you eat of me, you will never hunger and thirst again? The answer to that is found in verse 36 and 37. Look at that, verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, but as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Here's what Jesus is saying. God has brought his people to Jesus. Jesus says, if God has brought you to me, I will never drive, drive you away. What does that mean? That means that Jesus promises that he will care for you, he will nurture you, and he will protect you. That is why you will never hunger and thirst again. A lot of our spiritual hunger, a lot of the emptiness we feel in our hearts is because we have not been nurtured well growing up. We have never felt like we were protected, particularly if you grew up in abusive homes. And we were struggling with that. And we've never been fully nurtured well. Jesus is saying that if you believe in me, if you come and partake in me today, that he will protect you, nurture you, and truly care for you. That's what he's saying. And the challenge is, will we say yes to that? Well, how do we do that then? How do we hunger to believe in Jesus? I have three quick thoughts for you. The first is this, pray for greater faith. Pray for greater faith. Pray for it. Now, be careful when you do, because many times when you pray for greater faith, God will often put you in a place in your life where you have nothing else to depend upon but him. And that's a scary place to be, especially in a day and age where you and I live in today. I call that a spiritual sweet spot. That's the place where God will call you. Pray for that. Maybe have some people pray for you that you will grow in greater faith, all right? Second, speak the truth. Speak the truth. One of the things we see here in Jesus is simply that he speaks the truth to these people. 
And what happens eventually? They reject him. You know what's so sad when you read chapter 7 of John? It's, even, it's, it's so sad because Jesus constantly lives his life speaking the truth. He actually loses a group of his disciples. They walk away from him. Not just people who want food. His disciples walk away from him. Why? Because Jesus speaks the truth. You see, a lot of us, I think we're so afraid to speak the truth because we constantly are in dire need of human approval. We're afraid that we might not be accepted or be approved. And so we're, we're afraid. And so we don't speak the truth. But I want to encourage you to do so. And maybe this could be an opportunity where you can take a deeper look at your soul and ask yourself, why are you so afraid to speak truth to people that you love? What's going on in your heart? Dig deep into that and ask yourself that question. And learn some things about yourself. And perhaps maybe you can let God enter into those places where he can fill that and nurture and care for you and fill you and protect you so that God could encourage you to speak the truth. As people of God, we hunger more to believe in Jesus when we can speak the truth. And so who do you need to speak truth to today? Who do you need to speak truth to today? Not only do you pray for greater faith, speak the truth, but the other thing that we have to do is live in the truth. Speak the truth but do your best to live in the truth. Meaning, are you the same person you are in private when you go out in public? Or is there a huge discrepancy between what people see in public and what people see in private? Or maybe let me put it another way. Are you a very different person on social media than you are when you turn off your phones? Is there a discrepancy there? Live your life with the best of integrity as you can. The only way you can live in the truth is if actually you know some truths about yourself. One of the best things you can honestly do for yourself this week is to sit down with somebody, and because you're quarantined, it might be your best friend. FaceTime them. It might be your spouse. And give them permission and authority to speak truth into your life. Why? And and please don't take it as as, as a way where you think your spouse is trying to hurt you. No, the only way you're going to be able to live in the truth is if you allow somebody to speak truth into you. And I am telling you, I've known this about myself. We literally live our lives with dozens upon dozens of blind spots that we cannot see. But the person who dearly loves you see it all the time. Give them permission to speak truth into your life. And you'll see how much your life can change and how much you hunger more to believe in Jesus. Back in mid-September, um, I invited Pastor IJ. He's our youth pastor, young, great, vibrant, fully energetic guy. I asked him to live with my family and I for six months. So mid-September, he moved in for six months, and he just moved out recently in middle of March. And uh, we had really a great time uh, together. Uh, it was great to, to uh, eat together. We've had, shared uh, many meals together. We also, uh, I've, we, we were able to actually eat some meals that he cooked. And man, Pastor IJ is like a, a chef. He would cook some serious meals and it was amazing. Uh, we binge watch, you know, Korean drama together, like Crash Landing on You. And he got me to watch Itaewon Class. And I never knew how much he loved Disney. Because when we got Disney Plus, he was more excited about it than my children. And at nights, I would walk out of my room, and like at night, he'd be watching like Dumbo, like the old version. I'm like, what are you watching Dumbo for? It's like, oh, it's a classic. It's a classic. But I wanted IJ to come and live with me for six months simply because I wanted him to see how I lived my life. I really believe more than what I teach on Sundays on a platform like this, 
that if you watched how I live my life, you'll actually learn more about how to live for Jesus than just hearing what I teach on Sundays. It's not because I have it all together, because I really don't, and IJ have seen some, some bad sides of me during the six months he's lived in, lived with me, but I just wanted him to see, see how I live, how I act, not just how I act at the office and here on Sundays, but how I act and respond to my children, and to my wife, and how I live my life. And it was great, and I wanted to see him. I didn't want to just see him at church to see how he lived his life on Sundays and at the office, but I wanted to see how he lived his daily life. And we were able to do that for six months together, kind of get into each other's lives. And then on Tuesdays, I would sit down with him every Tuesday morning, and we would talk. And one of the things that we did was that he gave me permission to speak truth into his life, that as I lived with him for six months, and I saw how he lived and how he kind of connected with different people, not just in our home, but outside of our home, I was able to share with him some truth. And most of the times it was just really encouraging. We, it was good stuff that we talk about, but there were some times where it got actually really emotional and it was powerful. You can really sense the spirit of God moving in our interactions together. And, uh, you know, he moved out. We miss him a lot, uh, actually, and I actually miss him a lot. But back in mid-March, um, before he left, I said, would you just share with me some things that perhaps maybe you took away from our time together for the past six months? And he did. He had a list, and he shared it with me. But one of the things he said, and I'm not going to share all of them, but just one thing that really impacted me, he just said, I have a desire to have greater faith in God through this. He grew up as a PK, and um, he just said, I just never knew, I never believed that a pastor's family could be healthy. And he said, seeing kind of how the ons live gives me hope and faith to know that that can happen in my own life. It's so important for us to get to a place in our lives where we position ourselves to hunger to believe in Jesus. Jesus says, if you do that, you will be able to partake of me and you'll never grow hungry and thirsty again. The very last thing we see here, that Jesus becomes our bread of life when we hunger to do the works that impact eternity. When you and I hunger to do the works that impact eternity. The first one is to hunger to believe in Jesus. But the second one is to actually have a real hunger to want to do works that impact all of eternity. Look at verse 47. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus came down referring to his life and his death and his resurrection. And he says, when we participate in him, that's what communion is about. When we participate in him, we eat of his body, which is the bread, drink of his blood. He says, we will have eternal life. You see, one of the things you and I need to know about Jesus is that he does not look at death with the finality that you and I look at it with. 
you know, we watch the news every day. We get the death reports of what COVID-19 is doing in our country, in our world. And it's horrible. And for a lot of us, we're so stricken with fear because we see death with such a finality. But Jesus does not see death like that. In fact, when Jesus, he says, if you see me and you consider me to be the bread of life, he says, basically, death is like you going to sleep. That's exactly what he told the disciples last week when we looked at that passage with Lazarus. When he described Lazarus being dead, look at how Jesus describes it in John chapter 11, verse 11. Look at what he says. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he, it was natu- he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus, when he looks at death, when we believe in him, and he's making a powerful statement in this passage in John 11, but also in John 6, he says, when you believe me, when you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he says, you have eternal life. Therefore, death here on earth is like you falling asleep. And then you wake up on the other side of eternity. Amen? That's what it is. You and I have to see death like that. Death, like when we die here on this earth, we're merely just falling asleep. And one day we will wake up on the other side of eternity with Jesus Christ for all eternity. We have to see our lives that way. And if that is our life, because the life that we have here on earth, it's so short compared to the eternity we're going to have with God. If that's the case, then shouldn't we invest our lives in the things that lead to eternity? Shouldn't we? It's so critical that we spend our lives building God's kingdom and not ours. Why? Because your kingdom will die with you here on earth. When you die, your kingdom will die with you. Don't spend your life focusing and working to build your kingdom. Let's dedicate our lives to building the kingdom of God, right? Let's do that. How do we do it? How can we get to a place where we can do the work of building God's kingdom that lasts for all eternity? How do we impact eternity that way? There are a few things. The first thing is this, work to become a seeker of God. Work to become a seeker of God. When you die and you go to heaven, You are not, I'm not going to be a pastor. You're not going to be a doctor or a lawyer, whatever you're doing. The only thing that you can take with you to heaven is being a seeker of God. Because when you get to heaven, you could be sure that you are going to have a passion and desire like never before to seek our God. And so work on that now. Find your identity being a seeker of God. Connect with him. Surround yourself with people that will help you to grow. Enter into this place, even entering into some healthy spiritual rhythms so that you can be in a place where you connect with God in a very deep and powerful way, where you connect with his presence. It's there. It is so real. It is so real. God's presence is so real for you today if you will pursue him and seek him and find your identity being a seeker of God today. Open your hearts to him in that way. My good mentor, Pete Scazzaro, when I first met him, he said to me, he goes, Peter, you're, you're not going to bring your titles to heaven with you. The only thing you're going to be able to bring with you is you being a seeker of God. I never forgot that. And he says, seek him. Make sure you encounter his presence regularly. Get to know this God. We have an incredible journey to be able to do that. All right, we have an incredible opportunity to do that. All right, the second thing that we should do, the second kind of works that leads to 
impacting eternity is doing the work of forgiving people who have hurt you. Doing the work of the people who've maybe hurt you. That leads to eternity. That's doing eternal work. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Look at what Jesus says. This is, this is key. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But here's what Jesus says here. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What that simply means is this. God will never forgive you if you refuse to forgive somebody else. Meaning you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are willing to forgive others. Why would God say something like that? Jesus doesn't only say it here in Matthew 6. He says it in other places in the Gospels. Why? Because if you have really experienced the height and depth and width of God's grace and mercy upon your life, there's no way you would hold it back when somebody has done wrong against you. See, James teaches us that faith without works is meaningless. And the greatest way in how we can bear the greatest fruit is to forgive those who've wronged us. Now, it's a process. I know it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But the reason why this is so key is simply this, is that you're never going to know Jesus is your bread of life where you'll never hunger and thirst again. You'll never know that if you continue to live with resentment and bitterness in your heart. Because Paul does say in Ephesians 5, do not let the sun go down in your anger, in your bitterness. Otherwise, you give the devil a what? A foothold of your life. That means you're basically giving him the keys to your soul. You'll never know the depth and the breadth and the height and depth and width of God's love for you and him being your bread of life unless you start this process of forgiving those who've hurt you. And oftentimes I think we resort to a lot of dark spiritual sins and junk food to feed our spiritual hunger. It's because we're unwilling to forgive those who have deeply hurt us. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you become this doormat. No, they will have to deal with God eventually on judgment day. But it's about you getting to a place where you set yourself free from that bitterness, from that poison, so that it doesn't destroy your life and the people that are close to you. Forgive. That's the work that impacts all eternity. And then the very last thing, do the work that advances God's kingdom. Do the work that advances God's kingdom. When you eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus Christ, when you dedicate your life, one of the things that you should think about is, are you advancing the kingdom of God? What you do at work, at your workplaces, are you advancing the kingdom of God? If you're a student in your school, are you doing your best to advance the kingdom of God the best you can? God wants us. You know, when Jesus Christ came on this earth and he walked on this earth, one of the things he declared so emphatically was, he says, the kingdom of God is here. That was Jesus' primary mission, was to establish God's kingdom here on earth. Well, since he's died and resurrected from the dead, he's now in heaven with God. He's now charged us with that great commission for us to advance the very kingdom of God. So simply let me ask you, now I know this might be hard because we don't go into work these days, but when you go into your jobs, do you see your workplace as a mission field? Or do you just see it as a place where you pick up a paycheck? That's tragic if you do. Because the place where God calls you to go to work is your mission field. When I worked in the marketplace for four years before I went into ministry after college, I used to have prayer meetings at MSNBC with some, a few Christians. We would get together and eventually start to grow. Every week we'd come together and we would pray for the people in our building, pray for our bosses, pray that God would give us an opportunity. Maybe you can start that. Maybe you can start prayer meetings at your workplace. Maybe during lunch, you guys can go out and just pray for each other and pray for that place that God's kingdom would be established there. We invest most of our life, honestly, right now on a day-to-day -day basis at our work, at our vocation. 
Are you doing it in a way where you're advancing the kingdom of God or do you just see it as a place where you pick up a paycheck? It's important, critically important for us to consider that. And it really is important to also ask yourself, God, what is my purpose in life today? Because for some of us, you might actually be in the wrong profession because God never wanted you to pursue that profession. Maybe your parents wanted you to pursue that profession, but it wasn't God. And maybe you need to think and invite some people around you, some wise counsel. Don't ever do this by yourself. And sit with them and let them join you in discerning that. I remember before I went into ministry, I I got together with a few of my friends and my pastor. And I said, you need to pray because what I'm about to do is something real crazy. It's really often what I'm doing right now. Can you just confirm that God's in this or am I just being crazy? You got to invite some people and you you might have to reconsider. But for the majority of us, see your workplaces as a place where you can advance God's kingdom. There are many ways in how you can do that. For some of you, you have the gift to make money. Make a lot of it. But can I encourage you? The way you advance God's kingdom is give most of it away. Don't keep it just for yourself. Bless God's kingdom with it. Establish his kingdom through that and see how he'll bless you. I think it'll be a beautiful thing. Do your vocational work with eternity in mind, Metro. Whatever you're doing, as you're a doctor, lawyer, IT professional, whatever it is you're doing, project manager, Do it with eternity in mind. Don't do it just with this world's posture of doing work. Don't just do it for a paycheck. Can I also encourage you parents right now, if I can, as you're at home, can I encourage you to also parent your children or child with eternity in mind? Please, parent your child with eternity in mind, not Don't just parent them for success here in this world. Don't just parent your child to be wealthy. I think that's important at some level. But we have to really shift. I think the churches today, Christians today in this world, we have to make a shift. The most important thing we can do to our kids and and the the best way in how we can raise them is to parent them with eternity in mind so that they too can learn to be a seeker of God in every, every way. Jesus becomes our bread of life when we will never hunger and thirst again. When we hunger to believe in Jesus and we hunger to do the works that last for eternity. At this moment, I want you to watch a video of somebody in our church who's been a part of our staff for quite some time. But it's a story of how God was working in his life and how he was able to finally get to a place where he really understood that Jesus actually can be my bread of life. So why don't we just watch this story? Growing up in a stereotypically Asian-American household, uh, there were a lot of expectations placed upon me. A lot of my uh, identity had been founded on my grades. Um, That's kind of the way my my parents raised me. That's kind of the way my, my dad raised me. Out of school, it took me a little while, but, you know, I eventually found uh, a job and a career um, in the IT field. And, you know, it was it was cool. The excitement kind of wore off after a while. And it was weird because every time I felt like my paychecks were getting bigger, so was my dissatisfaction. But I just kept throwing distractions at myself. My emotional and spiritual state when I originally found Metro was uh, 
it was it wasn't great. An opportunity presented itself where the uh, Zimele, a nonprofit uh, focused on uh, South Africa, was going on a, an ambassador trip. I figured if I can't find the answer to my questions here in America, why not travel to Africa, see if maybe God's doing something or has something for me there. So when I first arrived in Africa, I had a pretty poor attitude, wondering what I was thinking, why I had, you know, decided to, to come. Um, but then we got to meet uh, some of the locals. And so we, we go into this, this mud hut with, you know, no ventilation, no air conditioning. This is really hot. Uh, hut where um, a group of women had decided that they were going to uh, I don't remember what they were making it was either tapestry or arts and crafts of some sort and um, it almost felt like I was on I was on holy ground you know that these women were taking charge of their lives that they were um, they weren't given any opportunities so they decided that they would make one for themselves I remember that resonated with me, with me so much, and um, all I wanted to do was help them. And I'd never felt before like uh, that there was something I was supposed to do. There were other things that I wanted to do, or other things that I could do, but that was the first time I felt like that's something I was supposed to do. During and after the trip, I felt convicted to find work, doing something um, that was more helpful to others than it, than it might be to me. The conversation that I was most nervous having was with, uh, was with my dad. When I told him uh, what I wanted to do, he took a moment and then he started telling me the only thing he didn't want for me was for me to live my life with regrets. And so he said he wouldn't mind if I was poor, he wouldn't mind if um, I had to live a life of sacrifice. What he didn't want for me was to live a life full of regrets. And so he gave me his blessing and, and since then he's been my biggest supporter. Maybe like two or, or three months after that, uh, I got a call from uh, from Pastor Peter, and he asked me if I'd be interested in being his assistant. You know, a little bit after that, uh, Metro asked me if I'd be interested in leading their fourth and fifth grade ministry. Maybe a few months after that, they offered me their uh, their position as a associate director of Metro Life, which is our after school. A program uh, working with at-risk teens in Inglewood. Essentially, my role in in all these positions is the same. I get to I get to help people. You know, whether it's helping them do their job better, whether it's um, you know teaching them about Jesus, or whether it's you know helping them to to reach goals that they otherwise would have thought impossible. And 
it's interesting that uh, I've never been paid less in my life, but um, I've never felt more overpaid at the same time. Um, but I feel like I'm finally doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that brings me a lot of joy, a lot of uh, satisfaction. And so I don't, it, on the outside, it may seem like I'm living a life of sacrifice, but to me, it doesn't feel that way at all. I don't feel like I'm sacrificing anything because you know, what I got in return far outweighs what I've had to give up. It's been so great to get a front row seat and see what God's doing in Steve's life. And Africa, for him, was the moment where he realized that Jesus Christ can truly be his bread of life, where he can participate in that and never hunger and thirst again. And the two greatest moments in our life is simply this. The first is to know when you were born. Yesterday, Pastor Doug, we celebrated his birthday. He knows when he was born. We all know when we were born. But the second greatest moment in your life is to know why you were born. And when you know why you're born, you truly understand that Jesus Christ can be your bread of life. And to see what God's doing in Steve's life, and even now today during COVID-19, he's participating and feeding over 30 families, part of a larger group within our church. He's organizing that, making sure that happens, impacting the lives of these young kids, loving them, not just helping them because of their financial disadvantages, but also there's mental and spiritual disadvantages. And there's so many amazing things that he's able to see now and devote his life to. Jesus Christ is our bread of life. He says simply, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So will you hunger to believe in Jesus today, Metro? Will you hunger to do the works that last for eternity? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I don't know what you're doing in people's homes right now. I have no idea, but I know you're doing something. So whatever you're doing, don't stop. Keep going. I pray for a spirit of conviction. I pray for a spirit of empowerment right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for a spirit of hope to know, God, that perhaps maybe for some watching today, what they have been pursuing all their lives, that they would realize that it doesn't satisfy. They're always hungry. They're always hungry after they reach those things, those pinnacles, those goals. And I pray, God, that you would bring a deep sense of understanding, a deep sense of hunger to want to believe in you. You would give us such a hunger to want to participate in building your kingdom that will last for all eternity. And so God, even during COVID-19, in Jesus' name, I pray for anyone right now that is experiencing your presence in their home, I pray that you would minister, speak, and don't stop. Don't stop till they get it. Don't stop till they sense what you want them to do. Don't stop, God until they know without a shadow of a doubt that you are the bread of life and that if they partake of you, they would never hunger 
nor thirst again. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. Uh, if you have your communication card, can you just turn that on right now? This is a portion of the service where we can actually apply some of these things that we've heard today um, and make it a concrete this week. The first one is this. I'm committing myself to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that and you're watching and you want to give your life to Jesus, please check that off. We will email you and get in contact with you right now. Second, I will pray for greater faith, that you will actually start praying for that, maybe inviting other people to pray for, pray for you, that you would grow in your faith, start that process. You can start it today, actually, in our, one of our prayer rooms. All right. Third, I will receive prayer to forgive someone who has hurt me. That even today, you can go, you can sign up. If you go to our uh, chat room right now, there's a link to it, or you can go to emetro.org slash prayer, or pray, pray. And if you click on that, prayer, pray, yeah. Go on that, and what will happen is that we will direct you right to a, a prayer room, and you can meet with one of our pastors, and they will pray for you right now at this moment. Maybe there's somebody that you do need prayer to start that process of forgiveness. Or if you just did any kind of prayer, please go to our prayer room right now via Zoom. Fourth, I will give someone permission this week to speak truth into my life. That you really start doing that, that you will give somebody, if you're with your spouse right now, just look at them and say, can we do it this week? Set a day and a time to do that, all right? Right away. Put that in your calendars right now if you can. Fifth, I will spend time praying and reflecting on how I can advance God's kingdom. And then I'll connect with someone and get their feedback. I think that's always great. You gotta do this stuff in community. You just cannot be a lone ranger and do it by yourself. Start praying, reflecting. What can you do? Or maybe how can you allow your work that you do right now to be a place where you advance God's kingdom? And then the very last thing, I would like to volunteer to do grocery shopping for families in need in Englewood. So like I said before, Steve is a part of this big group within our church and we feed about 30 families here in Englewood in need. They need people to go out and to buy supplies and to buy food. Now, you don't have to pay for it. We have the money, but we need some people to do that. And if you're interested in that, just check that off on the communication card. And I promise you, he'll get back to you this week, all right? And the very last thing, it's not on the communication card, but listen, uh, we know that you, if you're a small business owner right now, you have been devastated by COVID-19. You've had to shut down. You may not be able to make it. We don't want you to go through this season by yourself. You need to be within a collaborative group of other small business owners where you guys can sort of bear in solidarity together and also maybe spur each other on and maybe you guys could come together and support one another in any way possible. If you're interested in being a part of that group, just go to the I want more info about and click small group, all right? Pastor Doug and his staff will get back to you this week and they'll give you more information about that small group. But make sure you click on that. Or if you want to put that on the comment, say on the comment, on the communication card, I want to be a part of the small business small group. All right? We'll make sure we get back to you this week. 